Hello, and welcome to BTC Radio. I'm Kevin Mitchell, founder of the Business Travel Coalition and your host. In this edition, we will focus on the pro-competition, pro-consumer, and pro-growth U.S. open skies policy that is a made-in-America success story. Today, we have a very special guest, Tom Engel, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Transportation Affairs at the U.S. Department of State. Tom is one of the most respected aviation policy leaders in Washington, and it's a true honor to have him on the show. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Let's begin with a little background for our our listeners. With World War II still raging in 1944, the Convention on International Civil Aviation was convened in Chicago to establish a post-war framework for global aviation. The U.S. sought a single grand deal, if you will, that would allow unfettered market access for all signatory countries' airlines on a multilateral basis, meaning any of the airlines could fly to any of the participants' uh, cities and airports. However, the United Kingdom and other governments viewed aviation much like a public utility that requires extensive government regulation. These governments also feared the competitive prowess of U.S. airlines such as Pan Am vis-a-vis their flag carriers. Ultimately, the U.S. was forced to accept the principle of what was termed a balance of benefits, which meant roughly a government-mandated 50-50 split of airline frequencies, seats, or passengers, as well as a minimum pricing of fares. In other words, a floor on how low airfares could go. In the wake of U.S. domestic airline deregulation, however, U.S. policymakers pressed for considerably greater reliance on vigorous airline competition in international markets and called for trading competitive opportunities rather than trading restrictions. The concept of balance of opportunities as opposed to balance of benefits took hold and led in 1990 to the U.S. DOT termed Cities Program, which was driven by U.S. airports that wanted nonstop international air service and had identified foreign airlines ready and willing to provide it. The Cities Program was simply implemented within existing agreements and further cracked the edifice of the airline-centric balance of benefits approach. Soon after, in 1992, the balance of opportunities concept became central to new bilateral air service agreements with America's adoption of an open skies policy. There is no effort under this open skies policy to weigh a foreign country's population or divvy up benefits between U.S. and foreign airlines. Instead, open skies focused on fostering vigorous airline competition to the benefit of consumers' international economy. For example, the fact that under the U.S.-Ethiopia Open Skies Agreement, only Ethiopian Airlines has to date taken advantage of the right to fly between the two countries is not seen as a failure. Tom, with that as background, can you talk about the key elements that make Open Skies Agreements so uniquely liberalized? Sure. So first, Kevin, I want to step back uh, real quick and just pick up on on uh, one point you made in your intro there. The upshot of not having a single multilateral uh, international aviation agreement where all countries kind of give give all other countries similar similar treatment, the upshot is 
is hundreds or if not thousands of bilateral agreements. So international aviation is governed by a bunch of bilateral agreements. And these bilateral agreements can vary from very liberal to very restrictive, depending on the levels of of kind of government government interference in markets and and depending on the type of aviation relationship that any two countries want to have. So we regard the open skies policy framework as as really the gold standard of, of international aviation liberalization because under that framework uh, government interference in aviation markets is minimized and and this is the key thing about open skies it establishes uh, liberal ground rules designed to facilitate the growth of an efficient market-based international aviation system which really enhances the potential for increasing commercial and business exchanges investment exports and tourism uh so so key uh, to to the open skies framework is that there are no limits uh in in an open skies agreement on the number of airlines uh, that are permitted to provide service between the two countries to the agreement uh no limits on the number of frequencies uh the, you know the number of times that they can fly back and forth between uh, the two countries and other very liberal uh, features. Airlines are free to make business decisions, therefore, regarding fares, destinations, types of service, the types of aircraft they use. You know, it really leaves it up to airlines to make make their own calls based on their own assessment of of the markets. So it gets the government out of, of these decisions, whereas in the pre-open skies uh, world, get a, a much higher level of, of government intervention. And and this has really brought tangible benefits for, uh, you know, travelers, increased levels of travel, increased tourism between countries, um, benefits to airports and the cities that they serve. So it's had a broader economic development benefits. It's also uh, brought benefits for aircraft manufacturers terms of, of increased business to meet meet uh, the demand for, for aircraft to, to serve the expanded travel. So that's jobs in the United States. And, and so Open Skies really serves a broad range of U.S. stakeholders, we think. So since that very first Open Skies agreement between the United States and the Netherlands in 1992, what what have been the most important developments to get us to this point where we have 120 agreements, which is pretty astonishing. I mean, that is a huge number. Uh, so what have been the most important things? Right. So key thing there is that we have open skies agreements with countries all around the world. So on, on all continents and and at, at widely varying levels of development. And this has really been, uh, I think, a you know, a good example of U.S. leadership over the last 25 years in terms of advocating and, and implementing open skies, it's really led to a revolution in liberalizing air transport worldwide as, as, as you know, it's had a ripple effect. So now you see, you see greater liberalization in, you know, in, in other bilateral agreements that, that the U.S. Is, is not a party to just because other countries have realized the benefits. 
Now, of course, some of some of our aviation relationships are commercially more important than others, um, just because of varying levels of of travel, uh, you know, and trade between countries. Um, so, with regard to our most significant open skies agreements over the the last 25 years. Um, yes, definitely. The US-EU agreement is one of our, our most important ones uh, and has really enhanced travel in the transatlantic market and, and led to, to uh, you know, important business development in that market. But other notable open skies agreements that we've signed uh, include those with Australia, Brazil, Japan, Korea, India, Middle Eastern countries, the Gulf Gulf states, and we have open skies agreements with with 27 sub-Saharan African countries, which have helped facilitate market opportunities for our carriers in one of the fastest growing regions of the world. Um, and and these these relationships still vary. I mean, you made a very good point there earlier about Ethiopia. It doesn't really concern us that it only Ethiopian only Ethiopian airlines are are serving in that market. Um, you know, again, it's a business decision by by their carriers and by U.S. carriers as to which markets to serve. As long as we have a fair and equal opportunity to compete for our carriers in in each market, and that is expressly provided for in all Open Skies agreements, then then um, you know we're not looking for for equality of benefit, as, as you described in, in your intro. Tom, you had mentioned a minute ago that we had these agreements all over the world, and you used the, the expression with, with countries with widely varying levels of development. Development of, of what? Of their aviation programs or the countries themselves? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of meant it in terms of wider economic development, but but of course there's generally going to be a correlation uh, between between broader economic development levels and and maturity and and development of of aviation industries. Right. So that begged the question of my mind: these agreements that we led the world in in developing. I mean, we don't have 120 different agreements, correct? These are pretty much boilerplate agreements at this point? Generally, that's right. We have what we call a model text of, of an open skies agreement, and we are generally quite reluctant to make more than minor tweaks to that agreement uh, with with the different open skies partners with, with which we negotiate. So they are broadly similar they include the the same basic provisions. So we have a kind of a minimum set of standards that, that we need to see in an open skies agreement in order to call it open skies agreement. And and if a particular country doesn't want to go all the way to to uh, all you know to meet the standards of open skies, it doesn't mean we won't have an aviation agreement with that country. You need some kind of a bilateral agreement to to establish a legal framework uh, with with another country in most cases to to have an aviation relationship. Um, so uh, there are countries around the world, plenty uh, still, where we do not have open skies, 
but but can still maintain uh, you know a healthy and friendly aviation relationship. Correct. And sometimes when we phase these agreements in, if there's real concern about the the, the other country's home carrier being able to compete and so on. That's a very good point. We are we are often willing to do that, and and yeah, you'll see some cases where a country is is a little skittish about adopting the fully uh, you know kind of wide open competitive aspects that that open skies entails. Uh, they may be concerned about the the impact on their own air carriers. Um, and so they they prefer to phase in the uh, provisions of an open skies agreement over you know two three years uh, phase in period. We're open to that kind of thing on a on a country by country basis um, if it helps us to get to the to the end goal of of open skies in a in a not very long period. Now you mentioned Tom um, a minute or two ago about how other countries that enter into open skies agreements or open skies-like agreements with each other, not including us, um, that they they often follow our model. Is that a general rule of thumb across the world? Well, it, it varies. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any other country out there in the world that has uh, open skies agreements with 120 partners as we do um but i just meant it in a general sense that that uh, the us championed a a uh, you know a liberal international aviation uh, framework there that did have ripple effect mm. and and when countries saw the benefits in terms of Increased travel and tourism and and broader economic development that that increased travel brings, you know there was uh, they 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 cottoned on to the idea and and have have opened up more liberal uh, aviation relationships among themselves. I mean it's a it's a term of art, open skies, and it like I say, the way we define it is is very much linked to the standards set in our model text other countries may use the term uh you know in in looser fashion uh to to refer to uh, you know an aviation relationship more liberal than what they had in the past but but wouldn't necessarily meet all of the the, the standards that we include in the concept sure that makes sense we hear a lot about the so-called freedoms. These are rights within the Open Skies Agreements. What are they and which ones are the most important on, on both the commercial and the cargo sides of the business? Sure. So this gets a little technical, but the freedoms of the air in general, that's a set of commercial aviation rights granting a country's airline the privilege to enter and land in another country's airspace. Uh, and to carry passengers and cargo to and from that country's territory. So you you start with sort of uh, overflight rights, where you're just flying over a country, um, to uh, you know flying back and forth between each other, um, and and so the first four freedoms of the air are, are essential rights to provide any 
country-to-country service. For our Open Skies Agreements, we go beyond country-to-country service to include what's called fifth freedom rights, and namely, that's the right to fly between two foreign countries on a flight that originates or ends in one's own country to facilitate more more efficient travel and greater choices for customers. So, for example, uh, an example of a fifth freedom flight would be a U.S. Uh, airline that flies from San Francisco uh, to to China via Tokyo, Japan, uh, and and is allowed to pick up passengers in in uh, Japan and transport them to China. Uh, so these are these are that's uh, an essential feature of of our open skies uh, model framework. Now, commercial airlines seem to get all the press coverage, but I'm intrigued by what Open Skies has achieved for the cargo industry and their customers. For example, FedEx operates a substantial hub at Dubai. That that must be tremendously beneficial for small and mid-sized American businesses in penetrating new markets overseas and growing their businesses and generating jobs. Can you can you speak to that? Sure, that's a really important point, uh, Kevin. U.S. air cargo carriers have been very innovative and very successful companies. I mean, they've, they've been really world beaters. And Open Skies, the, the, that legal framework, enables them to connect the entire world to their domestic air and ground networks to better serve their customers. And I mean customers both in the United States and around the world. So, so Open Skies has been critical to the success of building global networks. It's been, it's been good, good for these world beating American companies and for their, their customers. So really you have to, you have to see that, that modern global supply chains and, and modern global economies now really depend on strong, healthy international air cargo networks and, and the, the, the liberal framework that uh, Open Skies embodies because it applies both to cargo and to passenger traffic has really been critical to, to that, that uh, you know, development of that international business. The example that, that's often cited is, um, you know, the, the fresh flowers on your breakfast table. Uh, you know, they were, they were in some hothouse in Colombia a day or two ago, and now they're sitting there on your, your breakfast table brightening up your room. That would just never have been possible without, you know, the, the amazing, uh, networks, uh, that, that international air cargo systems afford and and again it's it's the open skies legal framework and its application to cargo that that has allowed that to uh to develop so yeah our car- cargo carriers have developed hubs not just in the united states but at at key key points uh, in foreign countries as well and and those kind of doing pro- doing business provisions are also part of the model uh, of, of the open skies framework. So uh, our cargo carriers, along with, with our passenger carriers, have really been among the staunchest uh, supporters of open skies. Well, t- talk about a, uh, a marriage 
the Made in Heaven, I mean, the buyer here in the United States that wants to import the flowers for uh, our breakfast table learned about that small firm uh, over the Internet. So, you know, and, and conversely, uh, buyers around the world can learn about our small and medium-sized businesses and the products and services that they offer through the Internet. And then the Open Skies Agreements and the cargo carriers are the other other side of it. You know, Very the, good point. The delivery of point. it. Yeah. This, uh, this has meant uh, smaller U.S. companies are able to tap overseas markets in ways uh, that, that never would have been possible. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the figures that are often cited uh, is that, uh, you know, if you look at the, the percentage of, of total world trade, uh, if you measure that by volume, air cargo represents only, you know, single digits, like one to three percent of, of, of international trade by volume. But if you look at it by value, mm. air cargo moves up to something like 30% of, of total world trade. So that's a significant chunk of, of you know, smaller, lighter, high-value products that are moving back and forth between the countries, not on big container ships that take, you know, weeks to get from one place to another, but on airplanes that get from point A to point B overnight. Excellent point. Finally, Tom, on its 2016 to 2035 Market Outlook webpage, Boeing asked the following question, what drives air travel growth? The answers they provide are, one, ease of travel, two, economic activity, and three, local market factors. There is absolutely no mention of open skies or liberalized air service agreements around the world. I'm thinking rather that than that being an oversight, I, I guess open skies agreements at this point are just assumed to be an integral part of the global aviation framework. I, I, I hope that they're not taken for granted. Any any final thoughts, Tom? Well, I don't believe they are. We we have uh, you know we're we're regularly uh, reminded by our stakeholders, uh, and that includes aircraft manufacturers. Uh, of, by a wide range of U.S. stakeholders, airlines, their employees, again, you know, local communities uh, and the airports that serve them, uh, of of the benefits of of open skies, um, and that that we dare not take uh, those benefits uh, for granted. So I'm I would be inclined to say, uh, well, you know, be a little careful speaking for for the company, but I think when they say ease of travel. It's very possible that they are are kind of subsuming, uh, you know, the open skies benefits and and freedoms into that concept. Good point, Tom. Thanks for your your many insights today, and for all that you do for consumers and for our industry. Thank you, Kevin. Bye bye. Well, that's it for this edition. For the entire team here at BTC Radio, thank you for tuning in.